Putting away lying, speak the truth, every man with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. For my own review, for the sake of things happening in the nation's capital and in Rome, I looked up some things in the catechism just to be refreshed and what is it what what does it mean in detail to put away lying and so the catechism helpfully um, goes point by point Cardinal Ratzinger explained a while ago the catechism itself doesn't lend extra authority to things just because they're in the catechism they already have the authority of the utterance with which the church uh, spoke them already. So just because it's a new catechism doesn't mean there are new teachings. Um, it's something helpful to remind our, all of our friends. Paragraph 2476 talks about false witness and when it's made publicly. When it is made publicly, a statement contrary to the truth takes on a particular gravity. In court, it becomes false witness. When it is under oath, it is perjury. Acts such as these contribute to condemnation of the innocent, exoneration of the guilty, or the increased punishment of the accused. They gravely compromise the exercise of justice and the fairness of judicial decisions. Paragraph 2477. Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. And so then the catechism goes through three specifics that we probably know, but it's, it's good just to be reminded. At least it's good for me um, to be reminded. He becomes guilty of rash judgment, who, even tacitly, assumes as true without sufficient foundation the moral fault of a neighbor. He becomes guilty of detraction, who, without objectively valid reason, discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them. He becomes guilty of calumny, who, by remarks contrary to the the truth, harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them. Calumny is wrong just because right off the bat, it's contrary to the truth. Rash judgment and detraction have to do with other considerations. Even if they happen to be true, rash judgment means that we haven't come to a conclusion without sufficient foundation. Granted, it can be a subjective determination. Detraction is sinful because it's without objectively valid reason we disclose another's faults. It's, it's, It's helpful and important to keep these in mind because we can abide by all Three and not commit rash judgment, not commit detraction, and not commit calumny, and say things still that are unflattering 
that are critical of other people or, or legitimately and for objectively valid reason call into question what someone claims to be true or what someone is denying. Remember St. Paul, who's writing this to the Ephesians, who says, put away lying, speak ye the truth, every man with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, who bids us not to say anything that would sadden the spirit, is the same St. Paul who excoriates those who deserve it. and even insults those who bring shame to the church. And even speaks publicly about how he challenged St. Peter. I say this because, again, just for my own, for my own, my own clarity and my own peace of mind, whether it be I'm speaking about matters in the church or, or, or matters in civil society, it's easy for us to forget these categories because I simply know that, well, my objective is good and I'm trying to accomplish something. By the same token, we, we might sometimes refrain from saying the thing that needs to be said because it's unpleasant, but unnecessarily are we holding back? Because in fact, the unpleasant thing that needs to be said isn't actually rash judgment or detraction or calumny. Plain and simple, lying is speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. As children, we learn how to lie. Lying isn't something that we need to read about or be taught. No one has to show us how to lie sometimes even without having words. Kids, every kid, every child figures out, if I say this or if I make, na- if I make this noise and pretend something happened or pretend that I'm hungry, I get this. Or if I say that or make this noise, I can get away with something else. It's as though... It's as though they are Christopher Columbus and they have discovered the new world. Every human being discovers the lie. It's simply a function of original sin. And so baptism isn't sufficient for a young Christian to grow up and to become virtuous. We need baptism. And then we need the continuous life of grace. Instruction, good example. So when St. Paul instructs us, put away lying, speak ye the truth, every man with his neighbor, of course, St. Paul isn't saying, be nice. St. Paul isn't implying that, that harsh words have no place coming from a Christian mouth. It has to be truthful. It has to be for good reason. And we have to come to conclusions with sufficient foundation. 
The second part of the phrase might seem unimportant. Remember, this is Ephesians 4, so St. Paul was talking originally about the unity of the church and the various roles in the church. And so, put away lying, speak ye the truth every man with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are members of one another. When you think about how simple the truth should be, whether it be as children in our innocence or as those who are verging on the beatific vision, those of you who are on the verge of the beatific vision, truth simply is everyone should be able to know everything. The truth is nothing to fear. And yet that only exists and can only and ought only exist in heaven. The only person who knows the whole truth about us, the only person who should know everything about us, is God. Because the only person who loves us enough to know all the truth about us right now is God. It's a great consolation. Having just celebrated St. Michael yesterday, as much as we know that he is engaging in warfare over our soul, we know ultimately our, our consolation, our great protection isn't in a favorite saint or a favorite angel, but it's in God himself. The only one who knows everything about you is God. And knowing everything about you, past, present, and future, to God it's all now. Knowing everything about you, he still sends his only begotten son to die for you. Imagine that. Someone who knows everything about you, you probably would figure, would be running for the hills. But in fact, the only one who knows everything about you is running to your rescue. We are members of one another. Still, there's a way that we belong to each other, right? Am I my brother's keeper? That's, um, that's not the correct answer. That's not the way to reply to God. Where is your brother Abel? So, we are members of one another. It doesn't just mean that we're accountable to each other, but it means that we, as members of the one body of Christ, we really, we represent each other. What you do doesn't just simply affect your reputation. You might think of it affecting your, your company's or your office's reputation. Depending on the circumstances, you might think it affects your family's reputation. Depending on where you are and what you're doing, you might think it affects the reputation of those people who drive your kind of vehicle or listen to the same bands, the same kind of music that you listen to. We're always aware of the fact that we are members of one another, especially so in the church. How much more so, obviously, in marriage. For those who are married, for those who will be married, and even for those of us who aren't, 
The union of husband and wife is a great example of what St. Paul is talking about. In marriage prep, when the question of fidelity comes up, it's easy to uh, think of it simply as a prohibition against certain unchaste things with other people. Instead of thinking of it as an actual virtue, I suggest you think of fidelity as that virtue by which a married couple shares every good thing with each other. Not just things, but, uh, but relationships, friendships, thoughts, experiences. Think of it as a, a rule of thumb to keep you out of trouble. If I can't do this with my spouse, then I can't do it. That's easy. But it also helps explain what are the things that we might not share with our spouse and why. It's, even though professional secrets has a separate paragraph in the catechism, paragraph 2491, what I would suggest to you is that what it's describing is simply that we don't inflict harm on each other. That's why I describe fidelity as the virtue by which a married couple shares every good thing with each other. You don't, out of a sense of belonging to each other, inflict every bad thing that's been inflicted on you. A benign example is uh, seen on the highway. Let's say on the way home from work, you see a horrible car accident. You see heads rolling on the street, and you're going to have nightmares for days. You don't go home and tell your spouse every single detail so that they also have nightmares for days. But you will tell them what kind of thing you experienced and how bad it was, because your spouse is supposed to love you and take care of you and serve you. They can't do that if they don't know that you experienced something awful. You don't have to force them to experience all of it. And so likewise, if someone's in medicine or law or in law enforcement or military or intelligence, when they're dealing with evils that others are suffering or others are doing or have done or might do, those are, those are evils that don't need to be and shouldn't be inflicted on your loved ones. They need to know what kind of stuff you're dealing with. But they don't have to have all of it inflicted on them. And it's also a healthy way of understanding these are things that you don't just have to leave at the office, but for the good of your soul, you, you, need, you need distance from it. You're dealing with evil. Treat it as evil that... that merits some attention and correction, but is not something for you to meditate upon. St. Paul wants us to meditate on what? Everything that's good, everything that's virtuous, everything that's beautiful. Meditate on these things. We never meditate on evil. We belong to one another. In marriage, we see this in the virtue of fidelity. We also see that As we love more, we're able to know more. As we love better, we we deserve to be trusted with more, or we can be entrusted with more. 
we need to remember this on the flip side too. We don't, we never speak the falsehood so as to deceive other people, right? We speak the truth. It doesn't mean anyone has a right to demand that I tell them everything that I know. Even someone who deserves to know the truth can't necessarily force me to be candid and disclose everything. Especially when it has to do with the evil that I've suffered or the evil that I've done. We trust people with our brokenness to the degree that they deserve to be trusted, to the degree that they love us. I think something similar happens in our relationship with the Lord. He entrusts to us things that we will only be able to understand to the degree that we love him. So, for instance, someone can be warned about how difficult marriage is, and they can hear the words, they're intelligible, they have no idea what it means until they're actually experiencing it. Same is true of priesthood. When we look at the cross, we can understand how people describe, how the church describes the cross. Our Lord suffering for our sins. Our Lord is God. His suffering is of infinite value. What he does stands outside of time because he is divine. But there, the depth of our Lord's suffering we can understand to the degree that we love him. A few days ago, it came to my attention that someone who, and I'll spare you the, the, the gory details, someone was supposed to have received Holy Communion, but in fact, um, they did take our Lord, but they didn't consume our Lord. And uh, don't worry, it wasn't a question of communion in the hand. It wasn't that kind of thing. Um, just a terrible, it, my heart just jumps out of my chest and it's as though Christ is, is actually suffering on the cross. He's, he's actually dying as this, as this host is not consumed as it ought to be as an act of love and reverence. It's, it's, as, it's as though knowing Jesus actually is presently on the cross. And it's not just a, an analogy, but it's an opportunity for an insight The body of Christ is still suffering. Christ is God. Christ became incarnate without leaving heaven. He ascended into heaven without leaving us. And his presence in the Blessed Sacrament is, 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 is the invitation to consider how all of time and history is folded in on itself. We... It's too easy for us to think of the cross as something simply in the past tense, done. We think about it. Maybe we revisit it. We see 
images of saints adoring the cross or even embracing the cross. And, and we think of how deep their meditation was, how vivid their prayer must have been. But there, there really is a, a way that we should think of Christ as still dying on the cross. It's only bearable when we remind, remind ourselves that he is risen from the dead and he is ascended into heaven. We can hear these words, and if, if we don't love Jesus, it doesn't, the, the meaning is, is lost on us. But the truth of our Lord's suffering, really and truly, I can only imagine the Blessed Virgin Mary having begun to grasp or adequately grasped our, our Lord's suffering because only she loved him the way a human being can love him. We're, we are... not only putting our Lord around our neck as a pendant, but we're, we're making this mystery something that's actually a matter of artifacts instead of realizing that this is the living God. We are members of one another. We are members of the body of Christ. If one suffers, all suffer. If one rejoices, all rejoice. And so how, how beautiful a mystery it is that our, our Lord presents himself to us every day for all of human history, from the beginning of his incarnation until all of history is complete. He presents himself to us even though we don't understand him. Or even when we only stand, understand him a little, like a child, And he knows that as he draws us to love him, we will begin to understand more and more of who he is and what he is doing. And how he draws us into his life. He doesn't want us simply to be moral. He didn't come here just to keep us from telling lies. He knows everything about us, and he wants us to be part of his life. He wants to impart his life to us. And as, as, as our pilgrimage in this, in this valley of tears continues, he, we share in his suffering. We share in his, in, his, in his rising from the dead. We share in his ascending into heaven. He makes all of that present to us. So that in every circumstance, everything leads us deeper into his heart and closer to heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.